Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. Uh, Let's read our text here together this morning. Paul writes, therefore, again, this is um, connecting to what he has just told us, everything else about the false teachers in the previous uh, verses. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Heard a story about a priest and a rabbi from local parishes were standing by the side of the road holding up signs. The rabbi's sign read, The end is near! The priest on the other side of the road held up a sign which read, Turn before it's too late! They planned to hold up their signs to each passing car. And as the cars passed by, people in the cars were yelling out. One person said, get a job, the first driver yelled. The second immediately behind the first yelled, leave us alone, you religious freaks. Shortly from around the curve, they heard screeching tires and a splash, followed by more screeching tires and another splash. The rabbi looked over at his companion and said, do you think we should try a different sign? The other man responded, perhaps bridge out is a lot better. (laughs) And what we're looking at here today, um, Paul is warning, watch out, be aware. Uh, And he's trying to warn us of people that would either try to deceive us or to try to disqualify us. And these are false teachers uh, that are in the church. Uh, and they are in every church, by the way, okay? Uh, they're, they're, they're legalists that uh, sometimes uh, pop up in churches. And if you can recall back with me here, Paul is dealing with these false teachers that we looked at uh, in the previous uh, verses here. And um, Paul is going to talk about these false teachers. He, he dealt with the whole thing of them trying to deny uh, not only the, the person of Christ, but also the work of Christ. But now he's going to deal with these false teachers in another aspect and really show us really kind of what they may try to promote uh, and try to, try to deceiving people. And so Paul is giving these warnings to them and to how, how to watch out for them and to avoid them. And uh, Paul was against legalism because really it's an attack on God's grace. Legalism is always an attack on God's grace because the legalist tries to live in such a way trying to say that I earn or I merit favor uh, from God and so therefore I'm going to do it and you have to do it as well. And so they try to impose their rules or uh, what they believe on other people as well. 
In Paul's letter to the Galatians, it's mostly an attack on the legalism that was going on in that church. Uh, Many of his other letters contain very strong warnings and very strong language uh, about the dangers of legalism. Like, for example, in uh, 1 Timothy uh, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he states that certain men who forbade marriage and advocating abstaining from foods were promoting the doctrines of demons. That's pretty crazy, right? Um, so legalism was really no minor thing in Paul's mind. He, he saw this as being a, a, a real problem. And when we discuss legalism, we, we need to be careful to define our terms here. Um, I heard one pastor try to tell me one time, because I basically told him that he was a legalist, he basically told me, no, legalism is somebody that's trying to uh, earn their way uh, to salvation by doing works. Well, that's part of it, but also it's trying to earn favor with God by what you do or don't do, okay? And uh, so legalism, basically, uh, sometimes people think it has to deal with having rules or commandments. You know, some people may say, oh, you're a legalist. You're one of those people, aren't you, that, you know, you believe that we should follow the Bible. Well, no, we should follow the Bible, okay? Uh, Jesus even advocating for us to follow Scripture and to follow uh, what he says. Uh, Christ advocated for following the, uh, uh, for the Old uh, Testament and the, uh, the Ten Commandments. Now, there's a lot of things that don't apply to us, such as the um, ceremonial uh, type things that were given to the Jewish nation. But there's a lot of moral things that were given to us as believers and that uh, we need to follow them. And there's certain dietary things that were given to the Jews that uh, we don't necessarily follow. I mean, yes, I mean, who likes the eating pig, right? It's great, wonderful, right? Bacon, pork chops, sausage, right? It's all good. Ham, it's all good stuff, right? Is it the best for you? No, it's not, okay? That's why God gave those rules, but uh, it's not one of those things that we have to necessarily follow today. Um, Some would say that uh, legalism is uh, man-made rules or commandments which define legalism. But what really is legalism? Well, at the heart of legalism is an attitude of pride. The legalist prides himself for keeping certain standards and judges others who do not keep those standards. The legalist thinks that they are made acceptable to God either for salvation or spirituality by their conform uh, by them conforming to a certain standard which they themselves set up. And uh, basically um, what's interesting is those rules that they, that they set up is never really having anything to do with loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind and loving others uh, as yourself. Uh, it usually in details about uh, all kinds of other crazy rules that they pick and uh, they, they conveniently use them for their own purpose and their own gain, but then yet they neglect uh, other things in Scripture. The legalist often focuses on external conformity while neglecting the heart righteousness that God requires. One commentator defined legalism this way, a fleshly attitude which conforms to a code for the purpose of exalting self. 
I think that pretty much captures a lot of what legalism is. And so Paul is saying, therefore, everything that I have just told you, don't let people try to pass judgment on you or try to deceive you and disqualify you in matters of spirituality and saying that the only way that you can grow in your spirituality is if you do A, B, C, and D, and uh, yet they're neglecting really where true growth really comes from, and what Paul says that true growth really comes from God. And uh, so Paul is going to really try to help us to understand that. So this is what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. Watch out. Spiritual growth doesn't come through legalism but by holding fast to Christ. So watch out, spiritual growth doesn't come through legalism, but by holding fast to Christ. So let's look at a few things here. Number one, watch out for those who try to judge you. Paul says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You see, legalists are not content to live as they see fit and leave others alone. It's kind of the whole thing of like, remember when you were like in kindergarten or in first grade, and you're over there, you've got your box of crayons out, and you're coloring away, and then all of a sudden, here comes that one kid that just really wants to sit there and start something with you takes your crayon, takes your crayon sharpener, whatever, I mean, whatever it may be, they are not fit to being left alone. They, they want to sit there and go and cause problems in other people's lives. That's what legalists do because they feel that they need to go and invade in other people's lives and say, oh, no, 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 you're not doing it right. I know how to do it. And so then they set themselves up as being the judge of your spirituality. Okay? And Paul says, look, these types of people, you need to watch out for them because they will judge you. They will pr- bring judgment and pass judgment upon you. And so legalism is a subtle tool of Satan. Um, I believe that on the surface it, it looks like it promotes spirituality, but uh, really it's based upon fleshly desires and fleshly uh, motives. At, at the heart of it is pride, has nothing to do with Christ, has nothing to do with holiness, has nothing to do with righteousness or actually growing in Christ. It's just based upon what they think that they want to do. And so it puts people into a system of pride and judging others, which really in turn destroys the church. And we've got to be very careful about that, right? Like, I've got to be careful because there are many times that I've got to watch my own heart, my own uh, attitude, my own desires of what do, what, what do I want to sit there and see accomplished, right? If it's all based upon my own fleshly desires, my own fleshly, uh, uh, what I want, uh, that can be a real hindrance to the church. And you've got to watch yourself also. That's why we all got, always need to be checking our hearts, Right? Uh, if, that we don't allow that, that system of legalism to be popping up and judging others. Now, I'm going to give you a couple things that Paul says about the legalists do to try to promote this spirituality or this fake holiness that they got about themselves. Number one, legalism judges spirituality based on conforming to external rules. 
Now, both uh, verses 16 and 18 uh, seem to indicate that these false teachers had set themselves up as judges. And what were they doing? Look at the text. They were judging anybody that was not following their system of rules. And what was that? Well, dietary regulations. They said questions of food and drink. Also, as well as certain Jewish festivals. But probably, I believe these false teachers went beyond these things of the law, and perhaps they were even uh, making the Nazarite vow avoiding all wine applicable to everyone. Uh, festival here refers to the annual Jewish feast, such as Passover, New Moon refers to monthly celebrations, Sabbath day refers to the weekly observance of the seventh day. And you can read about all those things that's found for us in 1 Chronicles 23, uh, verses 31, and also 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 2, verse number 4, and uh, 2 Chronicles 31, verse number 3. Now, God ordained these special occasions, really, for a certain reason. And look what it was, verse 17. These are a shadow of the things to come. God allowed there to be the Sabbath day. God allowed there to be the new moons and the the dietary regulations and all of that. All of it was supposed to be pointing to Jesus, okay? And it was a shadow of the things to come. Uh, Luke 24, verse 44, uh, it says, Then he said to them, this is Jesus, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 1 Corinthians 5.7 says, Clean out the old yeast so that you may be a new batch of dough. You are, in fact, without yeast. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Now notice what Paul says about these things, right? They are a shadow of what is to come. But then he adds... But the substance belongs to whom? Christ. What does he mean by that? Well, Jesus came to fulfill the law. Matthew 5.17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish these things, but to fulfill them. And so we are no longer obligated to keep these Jewish observances. Now, let me give you a good example of this. I think this is one that we can all really kind of relate to. For example, Sunday. Some people believe that Sunday has replaced the Sabbath. So like on on Saturday, right, we had, uh, it's supposed to be the day of rest. But now we have Sunday, and that's supposed to be the day of rest, okay? Okay. And so because people may believe that, they believe things such as, well, you should not do certain things on a Sunday. You shouldn't go out to eat at a restaurant. You shouldn't go shopping, mow your grass, etc., 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 because this is supposed to be a day of rest. And if you go out to eat uh, somewhere, boy, you are really, really causing problems. Uh Uh-oh, watch out, legalist, right? Got to be careful there. We do find that the New Testament commands us not to forsake assembling with other believers. That's Hebrews 10.25. It indicates that the early church gathered on the first day of the week. That's Acts chapter 20, verse number 7, and 1 Corinthians 16.2. And it also implies that Sunday is the Lord's day, as found in Revelation 1.10. But 
we find an interesting aspect of this in Hebrews chapter number 4, because in Hebrews 4, it teaches that by believing in Jesus, we enter into God's Sabbath rest. Now, I think it's important to take a rest because God, who is all-powerful, rested after creating the world in six days. Now, did God really need to rest? I mean, was he like, man, I just can't believe I did all this. Man, my hands are really hurting. And man, my mind, oh man, it just, I just can't seem to think straight. I just need to sit down and take a rest. Did God really need to rest? No, he's all powerful. So why did he rest? Because he's trying to teach us something trying to teach us that we need to trust in him and rely upon him because he is the creator God who created everything. And we need to rest in him. And he gave us an example of resting, and he took a rest from that. And so I think it's important to take a rest because God rested, and we need to trust in him, and he wants us to learn how to trust in him. And so Sunday is a great opportunity for our good to cease from our normal day-to-day activities and to come together as the body of Christ and to rest in Jesus. That's good. But God never said, well, you can't go out to eat or you can't mow your grass or you can't uh, you know, do certain things, right? So we need to understand that uh, there are people that may try to uh, judge us based upon what we do or we don't do. And so the legalist likes to set up extra biblical rules by which they can judge those who do keep them and those who do not keep them. And it's always an emphasis on the external. You find it coming across in, in things of, of dress or, or uh, certain mannerisms. Uh, what about the, uh, the whole scripture? Abstain from that which may have the appearance of evil. Oh no, I was playing cards in my house and somebody drove by. They saw me playing cards. That's evil, right? No, okay. Um, I had one pastor, he found out that I, that I would go to the movies, that I would go to the movie theater. I would go with a friend of mine, and we'd just, you know, we'd go see movies here and there. And he was like, that's evil. How is that evil? Because you're going to the movies. I don't know what movie you're going to go see. And so then I asked him, I said, well, do you go to the library? Yeah. Do you ever check out movies from the library? Yeah. Well, I don't know what movies you're checking out. <laughs> see, how that, see how that works? Okay. So you got to be careful with, with this type of stuff because people try to place an emphasis on the external. <clears throat> and this is always what happens. You find people that place such an emphasis on the external, they're promoting their holiness on the outside, but inwardly they could be secretly holding to all kinds of sins. And that's what God really wants us to deal with. He wants us to deal with the internal, to get at the heart of the issues Uh, that are going on in our lives. And uh, so we need to watch out for that. Secondly, legalists judge your spiritual growth and their spiritual growth by what you do or don't do or what they do or don't do. These false teachers in uh, Colossae here were concerned about food and drink and certain Jewish festivals. They had commandments about what you could and could not handle, taste and touch. Uh, We read about that in uh, Colossians 2.21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. 
they were filled with pride and apparently they were indulging in the deeds of the flesh is what uh, verse 23 states. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Uh, and he also mentions that in uh, chapter 3, verse number 5, where he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And so the huge problem of legalism is it promotes a false spirituality. It promotes uh, 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 an external uh, uh, thing that people think that you've got it all together and you are so wonderful and you are so great, but in reality, you don't because it all has to do with external type stuff. Jesus pointed out on this, uh, the same problem the Pharisees in uh, Matthew uh, 23, 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness, but these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. And so these uh, Pharisees, they prided themselves on keeping the law of tithing and made sure everyone saw how they tithe. They got the mint and the cumin and the dill, but yet they neglected the weightier matters of the law, which was justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And uh, so that's what was, should have been important, but yet they uh, uh, enforced the other things. <clears throat> In many churches, legalists judge others because they smoke or drink or have tattoos or don't wear a suit to church or whatever, all kinds of weird stuff, right? And they just mount, make all these rules about uh, what you can or cannot do. Um, Paul's point is watch out for these that try to judge you and use their standard as a measure of spirituality, and so you got to watch out for that. So here's the second thing. Watch out for those who try to disqualify you now. So not only those that try to judge you, but those who try to disqualify you. So Paul says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. Now, uh, there's some rather interesting uh, phrases in this verse here, and uh, I'll try to point them out to you here and explain them. The first difficulty that we see in this is what Paul meant by let no one disqualify you. Other translations, yours may read, let no one defraud you of your prize. One Bible commentator had this to say about this phrase. He was probably using in an athletic metaphor saying that these false teachers set themselves up as judges making up their own rules. And if you didn't play by their rules, they disqualified you from the contest. They may have said that you were not saved, or at the very least, you lost your rewards in heaven. And boy, I remember the time that I, uh, talking with my parents, um, because I, you know, the, the denomination that we, that uh, my wife and I came out of was Independent Fundamental Baptist, which was uh, really, really strict on a lot of things. And I remember talking to my parents about this, and I told them, I said, hey, you know, um, I've just seen a lot of problems in this. There's not an emphasis on the heart. There's not an emphasis on, on Jesus. It's always on a lot of external type stuff. And, you know, uh, my wife and I, have, we've we made a decision that we're going to leave that denomination. And boy, my dad, he just like about flipped out. He, 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 are you even saved? 
you know? And I just, well, where did that come from, right? Um, so you got to be careful for, for this type of stuff. People may try to disqualify you, think that you're not saved because you're not keeping their standard of rules and regulations uh, for certain things like that. You know, we live in a in a culture around here where there's a lot of Amish, and uh, sad to say, but even within the, within the Amish church, uh, there are certain rules and regulations that they have to keep. And if they don't keep those things, then they are disqualified. And that can be very hurtful. You know, uh, people get, get hurt, they get uh, excommunicated, whatever you want to say about that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, Paul says you need to watch out for these uh, types of people. Then he talks about this insisting in asceticism. Now, what in the world is that? Um, other translations read delighting in self-abasement. Asceticism or self-abasement is a word that's often used for humility. As we see, it's used in uh, Colossians 3.12. Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. Same word that uh, he uses there uh, in our text here this morning, verse 18. But uh, Paul here was probably being very sarcastic. They were insisting on a false humility, putting on a show, but in reality, they weren't really doing anything. They had this pride and this humility, uh, and they were denying themselves certain things which the Bible does not forbid. They're saying, oh, look at me. Look what I do. Look what I do. Look how holy I am. Look, look, just look at me. Just look. Look how holy I am. Do you, do you see me? This is the standard right here. This is it. If you want to follow Christ, right here. This is it. And so it was a very false uh, humility uh, that they were doing. Then he talks about this. I, I think this is so funny here. He talks about worship of angels. Uh, now, I find it interesting that they ha actually had a practice of worshiping angels. Um, and we don't really know what that practice was. But I think that one view that we can kind of think about this is these people were basically calling on angels to keep themselves from going into all kinds of weird teachings and doctrines and stuff like that. Like, I'm going to call on the angel Gabriel to protect me, you know, um, which is weird because who is the one that should be protecting us? Christ, right? And they were denying the whole fact of following Christ and rather follow an angel. Do you remember what Paul said about this kind of stuff? He said, even if an angel were to come down from heaven and preach to you any other gospel, what should be happening? Let him be accursed, right? And so these people were actually worshiping angels. Um, and what's funny about this is they were insisting on worship of angels. Um, and so Paul says they go on in detail about these visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Now, probably they based their worship of angels on visions that they claimed to have seen, okay? Claimed to seen. I saw an angel. I saw a vision, whatever, okay? And he says they're going on puffed up by reason in their sensuous mind, um, and Paul says basically all they were doing was just boasting in the flesh. Now, it's interesting to note that because Paul actually tells us about a man. And he says this man actually went up into heaven, was caught up into heaven, and he saw things that was not lawful for him to be uttered. Now, I actually do believe that that was Paul. Um, and I say that because we read um, in Acts 14, 19 through 28, Paul is uh, basically stoned in the city of Lystra. 
and uh, I believe that he died. I, I believe everyone that, that stoned him, they went over and they said, yep, he's dead all right. Good, we got rid of that guy. I, I believe that Paul was ushered up into the presence of God and he saw things that were not lawful for him to utter. And when he gives us the details of this in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10, it's very sketchy. I mean, he doesn't go on and on about things. He just says he saw things that were not lawful for him to utter. And I believe that, that God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh to keep him from boasting about that kind of stuff. Paul didn't go on the, on the, on the circuit and write a book Ten things I saw when I went to heaven, you know, or uh, I had a vision and I saw Jesus, you know, whatever, right? He didn't do any of that stuff. He says, look, I'm not going to boast about this stuff. And these types of people, they were boasting about it. They were trying to deceive people and draw people away from Christ and uh, what Christ actually should do. And so the point is, legalists don't seek to exalt God. They exalt themselves. Legalists operate in the flesh, not in the spirit. And so they take pride in external conformity, which can be judged outwardly. And the legalist is even proud about his own humility. And if you contrast that, godly people become increasingly aware of their own propensity to sin. I tell you, the longer that I live and the longer that I read Scripture and the longer that I get to realize who Christ is, the more I realize how sinful I really am. And that's really what the gospel does. The gospel is revealing to us how great of sin that we have and how great of a sinner that we were and how much that Jesus has saved us and rescued us from our sin. And, uh, but the legalist is always very prideful about how many wonderful things they do and how great of a Christian they really are, and on and on and on and on and on it goes. And so Paul is saying, reject legalism as a way of Christian living. So here's the third thing, last thing. How are we going to then grow? I mean, if the, if the, if the way of legalism is not the way to grow by keeping all these laws and doing all this stuff, how are we actually going to grow as a Christian? Well, Paul answers that for us, and he says, And not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Now, Paul says that these false teachers were not holding fast to Christ. Okay? So he's, he's giving us the negative aspect of it. Okay? He's saying these people were not holding fast to Christ. Now, I'm going to give you the positive aspect of that. And the positive aspect is hold fast to Christ. Okay? And so, hold fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Now, notice that Paul calls our attention back again to Christ, who is the head. Where have we seen that phrase before in our uh, study here in Colossians? Anybody remember? Colossians 1.18, remember it talks about Jesus who is the head of the church. Jesus in all of his, uh, his power and his glory, he is the head. He is the supreme one, right? So he's calling our attention back together. He said, no, you need to hold fast to Christ who is the head. Now notice what holding fast to Christ who is the head produces. Notice what he says. It produces, it grows with a growth that is from God. So if we are going to grow in Christ and the way to do that is holding fast to Christ, 
What does that mean to hold fast to Christ who is the head? Practically, what does that look like? Well, let me give you a few suggestions. Number one, holding fast to Christ as head means not being enamored with things other than Christ. These false teachers were caught up with the shadow. Remember? The dietary laws, everything else, like all the rules, all the regular They were all enamored by that. And they say, oh man, we're growing in Christ. Look at this. And Paul says, no, that's a shadow of the things to come. They were enamored with all these other things except Christ. It would be like admiring some famous person, but when you met them, instead of uh, of looking at them, you fell down on the sidewalk and said, oh, wow, look at his shadow. Okay? Paul's saying, don't be enamored by all those things. You need to be enamored with Christ. And so they were all caught up with the ceremonial aspects of the law that they missed the one to whom those ceremonies and laws pointed. They were hugging his shadow, but missing Christ himself. Now, before we laugh at them and say, well, that's kind of ridiculous, Mike. Yeah, it is really ridiculous. But we need to recognize how easy it is for us to do the same exact thing. When we meet together here, what is to be our purpose for gathering together? Our number one priority should be to worship God. And yet I think it's so easy for us to slip into being worship-centered rather than God-centered. Meaning we sometimes we are more concerned about styles, the songs we sing or don't sing, how the service is, what we have, what we don't have, the people who are here versus the people who are not here. Um, and in doing so, we forget that we are supposed to be exalting the head, which is Christ. Because we're all concerned about everything else except Jesus. And we don't worship Him. What are we, in fact, are we doing? We're worshiping ourselves. We are worshiping what we have or what we don't have. And we don't worship Christ in doing that. See, we have the propensity to do the exact same thing that these people were doing. Here's the second thing. Holding fast to Christ as head means beginning and then maintaining a living union with him. The members of the body here are joined to the head in a very living way. I mean, can anybody detach their head from their body right now? What will happen if you do? You're dead. <laughs> okay? You're not alive anymore. All right? So it's so important that we hold fast to Christ as the head, as the means beginning and then maintaining that living union with him. You see, you can't tape an arm to a person who is missing one and expect it to function. Doesn't work that way. There must be that living organic union or that limb will be useless. Becoming a Christian is more than attending church, going through the outward motions of Christianity, and keeping some religious rules. It means being joined to Jesus Christ in a living way so that you're in Him. You don't just join a church, you're joined to Christ Himself as a member of His body. But the implication here is that you have to continue with Christ requires some responsible action on our part. We must hold fast to him. The Bible compares our relationship as a marriage relationship uh, found in Ephesians 5. You know, uh, the day, and for those of you, uh, other men in here, that uh, the day that you stood before your wife and uh, you gave the, uh, the vows and you said, okay, I'm going to 
promised to love you. There's no others. Uh, I'm going to love you. Sickness and health till death do us part. All that kind of stuff. I promise that, uh, you know, when you wake up, I'll cook you waffles and, you know, all that good stuff. My wife didn't promise that, by the way. Um, but we make these vows on our wedding day, and the purpose of it is that we are going to continue in those vows. And we should continue in those vows. And so our relationship does not grow on autopilot, right? We, there has to be a maintaining of that relationship in order for there to be growth. And so just the same here, we need to continue in our relationship with Christ because that's what will bring about the growth, holding fast to the head. Here's a third thing. Holding fast to Christ as head means submitting to him as Lord. This is implied in the idea of the head. The head controls the body. And if your body isn't responsive to the direction of your head, you've got a big, big problem. And so Christ is the head of the church, and we are to be submitting to him. Who's the head of this church? Who's the authority here? It's not me. It's not any of the other elders here either. Who is the head of this church? Christ. We submit to Christ. What Christ says, we follow. What he commands us to do, we do. We submit to him. And so he is the authority and if you, as a believer in Christ, if we are going to hold fast to the head, that means you're going to have to submit to him. That means you're going to have to follow what he says. This whole idea of, I believed in Jesus and I can live however I want to, that is not New Testament Christianity. There's nowhere in Scripture where it talks about that kind of stuff. And so if you have believed in Jesus and Jesus is your Savior, then Christ is the head and you submit to him. And so it's very important that we hold fast to Christ as the head and submitting to him as the head. Here's the last thing. Holding fast to Christ as head means being a part of his functioning, growing body, the church. Look at verse number 19. And now holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, all of us, the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. And so verse 19 here makes it clear that being a Christian is not an individual matter. Being a Christian means being a functioning member of Christ's body. And that body only grows when every member lives in dependence on the head and interdependence with the other members. See, our American culture, I believe, today is against the biblical truth that as members of Christ's body, we are dependent on each other. It goes against that. We have a very independent view of life in general in the Christian life. It's God and me, but not me and my brothers and sisters in the church. This is reflected, I think, in the attitude that we sometimes have. Well, I attend church. Do you also attend the movies? See, that's the thing. Do you come here as a spectator and you, you see the people, you just like how you attend the movies, you, you go there and there's some people sitting around and, you know, you go up and get some popcorn and you get a drink and you sit down and you watch and then you get up and you leave, right? That's not depending upon one another. Paul says here, he says, the ligaments and the joints. How important is it to have joints in your body? You'd just be a rubber, I don't know what you'd be, some rubber 
thing, you know? Wouldn't have any structure to it. How important is it to have ligaments in your body? If you don't have the ligaments, you can't do anything. All right, take your Bibles. Oh boy, what am I going to do now, right? You got to have the ligaments, you got to have the joints. And they got to function together. And so we as the believers in Christ, we got to be dependent upon each other. What are you? Are you a ligament or are you a joint? You're important. And all of us together, we're submitting to Christ who is the head. And when we depend upon each other, what happens? We grow. Look where the growth comes from. It says grows with a growth that is from God. That's powerful. Because it's no longer us trying to sit there and try to do it ourselves, right? When God grows something, it grows. When God does something, it's powerful. It's not something that we're trying to work up ourselves. God is the one that brings the growth. But how does that work? we got to be dependent upon each other. we got to be growing together, knitting together. That whole idea of knitting together. I think of like, you know, a lady over there with her knitting needles, you know. She's knitting, knitting those, those pieces of, of, uh, of, of cloth or whatever. I don't know. I don't knit. But they, they, they come together, right? And, and here it is. It's coming together and it's being drawn together closer and closer and closer and tighter and tighter and Paul says it grows with a growth that is from God. And so we've got to hold fast to Christ. Are we holding fast to Christ? Are you holding fast to Christ? If not, we need to. We need to depend upon each other. I think it's so important, so important that we are developing relationships with one another here in this church. Because we depend upon each other. And when we develop relationships with people, that allows us to help one another, pray for one another, to be involved in their lives, know what's going on, to help, to be an encouragement, to actually utilize our spiritual gifts to edify the body of Christ. You see, when we gather here on Sunday, yeah, a lot of that stuff happens, but this is, this is our celebration of us to worship God together, right? Everything else of us growing together, being knit together, that happens and should ha- be happening throughout the whole week as we are growing together, that is a growth from God. So hold fast to Christ. Watch out for the legalist and hold fast to Christ. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.